Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each week, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency taxation. Our guests all have a unique perspective or expertise related to cryptocurrency taxation. John Stead, a CPA and financial accountant from Kugelman Law, is joining us today. John has been working with crypto for a few years and has quickly gained an expertise in the field. John will be sharing some of his expertise about margin trading and high volume trading. John, thank you for being with us today. Hi, Sal. Thanks for having me. Of course. And can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a CPA and my real expertise started out with financial accounting, which means instead of doing tax returns or performing official audits, I take raw data and format it into financial statements that are useful for a business owner to make decisions. And I started working with lawyers who wanted to prove cases in court or to the IRS. And so I would take raw data and format it in such a way that it is useful to serve as evidence. And so that's my background with uh, accounting. And then there's a few lawyers who have found that this is extremely useful for cryptocurrency accounting. And in particular, uh, the guy I work with all the time, Alex Googleman, he does cryptocurrency representation. And so I'm his, you know, in a way, I'm his mechanic where I go into the raw data and render it useful for him to make a case or to uh, fill out a tax return. And how about your opinion on uh, cryptocurrency in general? Um, I like cryptocurrency. Uh, I find it extremely interesting. I, I especially like the Bitcoin white paper. I uh, remember very clearly uh, what the world was like in January of 2009. And so I, I feel like I can empathize and relate to the concept that cryptocurrency should serve as a transfer of value between people independent of an authoritarian system or an entrenched banking system. The thing I'm most interested in these days is the utility tokens, where I feel like a lot of technological constraints can be solved by using cryptocurrency. Uh, and that's where I think cryptocurrency will eventually go. It's, it's the, the blockchain that's the really crucial aspect of these uh, assets. Right. And every, every business nowadays is, is jumping on the blockchain bandwagon and trying to find some use for it, which is a great thing. And, it, and like you said, the blockchain has plenty of um, utilization. So I think it's great yeah. that people are jumping you on it. We, we can imagine a supply chain that uh, is certified organic where the blockchain will, will be a chain of custody. Um, and we can imagine that, that would be extremely useful because it's auditable by anybody who just logs in and looks there's a lot less worry about things, uh, you know, us being lied to about stuff like that. I think right. that's where cryptocurrency can really flourish in my view. I agree. So you have a, a, an expertise on margin trading, which is pretty popular with a lot of Bitcoin tax users. So in plain English, can you tell me what is margin trading? Sure. So margin trading is the process whereby you take a speculative position using a loan. And so if you want to make a bet that Bitcoin is going to go up in value, for instance, instead of clearing out your savings account to buy Bitcoin, you would take out a loan and use the loan to buy the Bitcoin. 
That's the difference between ordinary trading and margin trading is that you are doing it with somebody else's money. Are margin trading loans kind of beholden to the same process as regular loans? Well, they, they have different reporting requirements and um, uh, they're, they're not going to appear like a mortgage. Um, most of the time, if you want to trade on margin, you need to have an account with a broker. In the case of a cryptocurrency margin, you need only have an account with a particular exchange that supports trading on margin. Uh, there's going to be requirements for collateral, just like in any loan. Right. There's going to be an interest expense, just like in any loan. Uh, but for practical purposes, for the case of your listener, Sal, uh, they're going to need to set up an, a margin account with their particular cryptocurrency exchange. Okay. And you talked a little bit about a long position. Can you describe what a long position is in more detail? Sure. In plain English, uh, if you want to take out a long position on margin, let's say you think Bitcoin will go up. Borrow $1,000 from a bank and buy, let's say, one Bitcoin. Bitcoin's trading at 1000 bucks. Great. Then wait three months. At the end of three months, you have one Bitcoin and you owe $1,000 plus interest. At the end of three months, if Bitcoin has gone up in value, let's say now Bitcoin's trading at $2,000, sell the Bitcoin. Now you have $2,000 in cash and you owe $1,000 plus interest. Pay back your $1,000, pay the interest, let's say it's 100 bucks, and keep the change. That's a long position on margin in absolute plain English. I think that's a great, easy explanation of a long position. We should mention, though, they'll still have to pay a capital gain on that long position, correct? Yeah. So the tax implications start getting interesting. Um, you have the, the interest, which is denoted in this business as the margin fee. But it's, it's interest on a loan. That is deductible under uh, most circumstances. And so you have to keep track of how much interest you pay because you can deduct it. Also, the gain, which in this case would be $1,000, is taxable. So you have closed a futures position, and so you have short-term capital gain earnings of $1,000 because your position closed and you're in the money. So you have $1,000 gain, and you have $100 deduction. The gain is futures position earnings, and the deduction is margin fee, which is interest. So in this, in this example, you're saying that the, you would take the $100 interest off of the $1,000 gain and overall you would have a $900 gain. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, your, your net's a $900, but the net is two pieces of the puzzle, which is the raw gain, which is 1,000 bones, and the interest, which is 100 bones. How about short positions? So short positions are <laughs> much more fun and much more uh, dangerous. <laughs> so let's imagine that you want to short Bitcoin and Bitcoin's trading at a thousand bucks today. You borrow one Bitcoin. Let's say you borrow it from somebody that, you, that owns them. So now you're holding one Bitcoin and you owe one Bitcoin. Sell the Bitcoin for a thousand bucks and then hold the cash and then wait three months. At the end of three months, you are holding $1,000 cash and you owe one Bitcoin plus 
interest denominated in Bitcoin. So let's say that Bitcoin's now trading for 500 bucks. You take your $1,000 cash, buy, let's say 1.1 Bitcoin for 550, pay back the one Bitcoin that you owe, pay back 0.1 Bitcoin in interest, and keep 440 US dollars. That's the short position where you've borrowed what you think will go down, sold it for dollars, wait, and then buy it back cheaper and pay back your interest and keep the change. That is a plain English short. And that makes perfect sense. So basically a short position is essentially betting on failure where a long position is essentially betting on success of a coin. Precisely right. And, and in the parlance, in the case that you are buying options instead of a straight up short or long, uh, the option is that you get to take the position under certain positions. A call option is the long position and a put option is the short position. And I remember this by you call someone up and you put someone down. Interesting. Nice. That's a great way to remember it. Yeah. And I still need to remind myself. I still count on my fingers too. Like that's all. <laughs> uh, so how overall do short positions, long positions, how does margin trading overall work? So the, the way it works, uh, you don't take a loan from a bank. You, you don't go out and borrow one Bitcoin from your buddy. The way it works is that a brokerage house has a ledger and that's how it goes. These days, you don't actually transfer the asset. So let's imagine that you call up your brokers and you say, I, I want to go long on Bitcoin and I want to do it on margin. They'll say, okay, good. We, we have it recorded. We have you recorded as long Bitcoin for a thousand bucks. Great. See, see you later. And then they just make a note in their ledger. You know, John's in for a thousand bone, uh, bones long Bitcoin as of this date. Three months later, they just check the price of Bitcoin and then tell me, oh, you won. Here's $900. It, uh, that's a $1,000 gain with a $100 interest fee. Or they say, hey, you lost. You owe us, you know, 300 bucks. Uh, and the 300 bucks would be, you know, pure interest uh, on the loan and, and you pay the thing back. So you don't actually take possession of the assets anymore. The brokerage house just keeps a ledger. This becomes important for us, uh, Sal, and especially your listeners, because that ledger is a cryptocurrency ledger and it comes directly out of an exchange. And we have to be able to understand what the ledger is saying in the case that we're going to A, do our accounting and B, uh, report it correctly on a tax return. Yes, absolutely. And I know that you said that you do understand the margin trading ledgers, which many people do not understand. So can you talk a little bit about how margin trading shows up on a ledger and how to interpret it? Sure, sure. The one that I, that I find the easiest is the Kraken ledger. So I'll use this as the example. All of the other exchanges that do margin trading are roughly similar. And you can check their FAQ tab, their frequently asked questions, and you can see how they're reporting. But the, the Kraken ledger is absolutely easy to read. And if, if you understand how it works in Kraken, you can understand how it works on the others. So when you export a Kraken ledger, it's going to have every transaction that you did. Now, the trades are going to come up in two pieces. 
and the category is going to be called trade. Uh, so let's say you bought Ether for a thousand bucks. It'll say trade Ether one. And then the next line down will say trade US dollars minus a thousand. Mm -hmm. Now on the margin side, there are two categories that'll show up. One of them is called rollover and the other one is simply called margin. Now let's take rollover first. If you are trading on margin and you don't cash out your position, you're essentially letting it ride. So if you go long on Bitcoin and you win, and now you've got 0.2 Bitcoin in your, in your exchange and you want to let it ride and bet again, you're going to be charged a rollover fee. And the rollover fee is basically the VIG. Uh, and so the rollover fee is going to be denominated in usually cryptocurrency. And there's just going to be a giant ledger full of them. Anytime you see rollover on a margin trading, or at least in this case, Kraken um, ledger CSV file, the rollover is a fee. Precisely right. If you're using Bitcoin.tax to do your accounting, the way you would report a rollover fee is you would report it as a sale of cryptocurrency, uh, and you can report it as a sale for fiat. And that's because you have disposed of your cryptocurrency in exchange for a service. In this case, the service is rolling over your bet into a new futures position. But you will need to remember and probably keep track in another ledger that you had a fee of X number of cryptocurrencies, and that's going to be a deductible fee. And Bitcoin.tax has uh, tabs for income and expenses where you can load income and expenses denominated in cryptocurrency, and you need only have the date and the quantity of cryptocurrencies, and Bitcoin.tax will tell you the US dollar value of that transaction. So if you have a, a ledger full of rollover fees, you would load these as sales of cryptocurrency into your Bitcoin.tax account, and then separately, you would load the quantity of cryptocurrencies and the dates on the transaction into the expenses portion of Bitcoin.tax. And Bitcoin.tax would tell you the dollar value of your rollover fees, and you would deduct that on your tax return. To clarify, you would recommend that users would then remove the items from the spending tab because if they enter them into the trading tab as sales, the rollovers as sales, then they also enter them into the spending tab just to get the dollar value They'll need to remove them because otherwise it'll be recorded as two sales of the same uh, rollover. Yes. And th this is where uh, the nuance comes in where, you know, the, there's a reason why I make a living doing accounting with cryptocurrency. Right. It's, it's complicated. But for practical purposes, the critical thing to understand is when you pay a fee in cryptocurrency, you have sold your cryptocurrency. And... Oftentimes, fees are deductible. So just like a bank transaction fee is deductible to an ordinary business, a rollover fee is deductible against uh, margin trading earnings. And so you have to be in a position to find out, A, what was your gain or loss on the disposition of the cryptocurrency, in this case, paying out 0.1 Bitcoin as a rollover fee, and then also, what is the dollar value of that fee so that you can deduct it? 
Okay, right. Like you said, cryptocurrency trading, uh, doing the taxes for crypto trading is certainly complex. And then adding in margin trading makes it even more complex. So I'm glad people like you exist and services like Bitcoin.tax exist. Yeah, and we're happy to be here. <laughs> Great. And then so you mentioned that there were two main things you'd see. You'd see rollovers on the uh, Kraken ledger. And then what was the other thing that you would see? The other thing that you'll see is just simply called margin. And the category uh, margin is going to have a quantity value. And the quantity value will either be positive or negative, And it'll have a denominator. So if you look in your Kraken ledger and it says margin to BTC, that means that you took out a margin position and you won your bet and your winnings from that bet are to Bitcoin. Additionally, next to it will also be a fee. And the fee will often be denominated in a cryptocurrency as well. The fee that is on the line that is margin is your interest. Now, it's called a margin fee in ordinary parlance, but for in real terms, it's interest. You borrowed to make the bet, you got to pay your interest. So if you look at a Kraken ledger and you see category margin, two Bitcoin, fee, 0.1 Bitcoin, what has happened is you won a speculative position, your winning is two Bitcoin, and your margin fee is 0.1 Bitcoin. In terms of the accounting, this is where it gets it is slightly more complicated. You now have two Bitcoin, and you might have to ask, what is my cost basis for this Bitcoin? Because later you're going to sell it. So you're sitting on two Bitcoins and you need to know, A, when did you get them? And B, how much did you pay for them? The answer is the cost basis of your margin trading earnings is the fair market value of your earnings on the date you earned them. So if Bitcoin is trading at a thousand bucks a pop and you win two Bitcoin on margin, your basis is a thousand dollars per Bitcoin for those two Bitcoin. And so in Bitcoin.tax, you could book it as a purchase of Bitcoin on that date and then in your Bitcoin.tax ledger, it would be carried as, yeah, these two Bitcoin were bought for X dollars on this date, and the cost basis would be correct. However, you also have to pay income taxes on those in the year that you won it. So this is where you could then use the income tab in Bitcoin.tax and plug in two Bitcoin on, on such and such a day, and it'll tell you the US dollar value of your margin position earning. Now, as you mentioned earlier, the, the nuance is that you don't want to double count. Right. So you want to be careful about how you're using your Bitcoin.tax accounting system, or you know, you could get a professional to do it. But if you're doing it using Bitcoin.tax, you have to be really careful that you A, your inventory ledger of cryptocurrencies does not double count anything, and B, that you are cognizant of all of the reportable events. So in the case that you win two Bitcoins on a margin trade, you have to establish the cost basis for those Bitcoins and then also pay income taxes on the futures position earning. 
Okay. And I wanted to just clarify something you said earlier on the ledger. You had mentioned that let's say you win, as you said, two Bitcoin from your trade, and then there's a fee of the 0.1 Bitcoin. Now that two Bitcoin that it shows on the ledger, is that overall what you had? And so you, you actually earn 2.1 Bitcoin and the fee or the interest of 0.1 Bitcoin is already taken out of that figure? Or in reality, did you gain 1.9 Bitcoin? Uh, it's it's listed gross. So you won two Bitcoin, and then separately you had to pay 0.1 Bitcoin in interest. Got it. And so if you if your Kraken ledger says margin two Bitcoin, 0.1 Bitcoin fee, you have a taxable earnings of two Bitcoins and a deductible fee of 0.1 Bitcoin. It's it's listed gross. Got it. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah, sure. And then, you know, obviously the, the reverse is true here. If it says margin minus two Bitcoin fee, 0.1 Bitcoin, you lost your futures position. You had to uh, dispose of two Bitcoin and you had to pay a, a interest of 0.1 Bitcoin. And in this case, you have to book that as a sale of Bitcoin because the, the Bitcoin that you lost while you held it, it either gained or lost in street value. And then on the date of loss, it is a taxable event just in virtue of the fact that you are disposing of cryptocurrency. Right. That's the really particular nuance of margin trading with cryptocurrency is that independent of the speculative positions themselves, the cryptocurrency itself is treated as a speculative position as well. And so you're you have two bets running at all times. Complex stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you clearly know a lot about margin trading. So can you, for anybody that's listening, can you maybe um, talk about some margin trading strategy that might benefit people? Sure. So as I've mentioned before, my understanding of speculative positions comes from the fact that I dealt blackjack for a year when I was in college. And so if you deal blackjack eight hours a day, five days a week for a year, you figure out how does betting work generally? Right. And so I'll say this, what, what a lot of people's strategy when they play blackjack is they know that the house is a little bit rigged. You know, it's, it's roughly a 5% loss rate. And so what they want to do is come in, put a bunch of money down. Maybe they win this bet and then they want to bail. That's nice, but the mathematical certainty of blackjack is that the longer you sit at the table, the more money you're gonna lose. So I'll say this, if you're out there and you're thinking about trading on margin and your thought is the same as somebody approaching a blackjack table which says most of the time people lose, but maybe I'll get lucky, just don't do it. You know, if you wanna go to Vegas and have fun, go to Vegas and have fun. Put a thousand bucks out there, play small, enjoy yourself. But if you're going to trade on margin, this is not, you know, for a party. If your approach is just to throw money at it and hopefully something sticks, you're going to lose your money. But there's another approach. And the other approach is to take it like a poker player. Now, a poker player needs four things in play. All of them have to work in order to win a poker game. The first thing you need is a strategy. And the strategy has to actually be good. If your strategy isn't going to work, it doesn't matter. You're going to lose money. That's how that's going to go. But let's just presume that you have a strategy and your strategy is going to work. An example of this in cryptocurrency would be you could see that 
Ether uh, serves as a platform for tons of derivative tokens. Um, and you're looking at your ERC-20 wallet and it's just blowing up with all different kinds. And so you could say to yourself, well, Bitcoin has no such derivative tokens. And so Ether might be a better long-term bet than Bitcoin because Bitcoin is clunky. It takes a couple of weeks to really post a trade to the blockchain. Uh, there's a limited number of them. They're going to run out in another 4 million Bitcoin or so. So you could see that and say, all right, this is the components of a strategy which is understand what the bet is. The second thing you need in order to win on margin when you're approaching this like a poker player is discipline. Because anybody can write down a strategy and believe it, but when things start getting difficult, a lot of people second guess themselves. Right. And you can see this at an actual poker table. You know, if you're playing Texas Hold'em and you come out on the flop and you're in it, you're, you're in the pot, things are going good. When the turn comes up a difficult card, now is not the time to try and relearn how to play poker. You, you have to have your strategy, and it has to be the one you work all the way through your trade. That's so this smart, is a, the, smart advice. The, the discipline aspect, right? And when your trade doesn't work, use the feedback and reorient your strategy, but don't go reorienting your strategy mid-trade. That's like trying to reorient your golf swing in the middle of the swing. Not right. the right time for that. So basically, don't, don't rely on emotion at that point. Stick to your strategy. Right. And there's, a, there's an old phrase. I was in the Marines for four years. There's an old phrase we, we used to like to say. It's the French phrase, sang froid. And what it means is cold blood. Yes. When you go into this game, if you don't have cold blood, don't trade on margin. <laughs> you need to keep your head cold. And so that's the, the discipline aspect. The third aspect that you need is patience. If you don't have any patience, you should not be trading on margin. And that's because if you don't have patience, you're going to go doubling down on your bet while it's still live. Not a good idea. Right. You need to have a long-term strategy, approach, approach it with discipline, and also let the strategy work in real time and be patient about it. The last thing that you need is liquidity, which is to say you need cash to back up your game. The example from poker would be, if you're a good poker player, you have your, your proper strategy, you're a disciplined, cool-headed poker player, and also you have patience, you also need the chips to ride out a bad poker player's lucky streak because any bad poker player can hit a pot once or twice. Right. It's going to happen. And if you are a good poker player and you don't have the chips to ride that out, it doesn't matter that you're right in the long term. You're not going to be able to ride it out in the short term. And the example from cryptocurrency is, let's say that you uh, want to go long on ETH, short on Bitcoin. You think Bitcoin's going to go down relative to Ether. As you go sitting on that trade, you're going to have what's called margin calls if the bet isn't going your way in the short run which is to say you have to post greater and greater collateral while your trade is live. If you don't have the currency to post as collateral, you will lose your bet, even if it was the right bet in the long run. And so all four of these aspects have to be in play if you're going to be a successful margin trader. And those aspects are you have to have a solid strategy, you have to have discipline and the cold blood to put that strategy in play, you have to have the patience to let the strategy work 
and you have to have the liquidity to back it up so that in short-term aberrations, you can ride them out. That is an invaluable strategy. And uh, to go off the, the gambling analogy, as they say, you don't spend $1,000 gambling if you can't afford $1,000 to gamble with. If that's going to hurt you to spend $1,000 gambling, if it's going to put you in shambles financially, you don't want to gamble that $1,000. And I'm assuming the same applies to margin trading. Yeah, you know, and if you earn your living margin trading, let's say, and there's plenty of people that can do that, it's, it's a perfectly respectable living. If you earn your living with it, you need to hold in reserve enough currency to support your positions for the life of the positions. And you also need to engage in it with such a conservative outlook that you'll still be able to pay the rent right. in a month and you'll still be able to pay a phone bill. And it's important to know that when you're trading on margin, you're trading with other people's money and there's a social risk as well. And so if, if your listeners are interested in a really quick like Wikipedia dive, look up the Hunt brothers when they tried to corner the silver market. It's an absolutely perfect test case on people going long on margin and then blowing up the world because <laughs> they made a bet with, their, with other people's money. And it turned out that when people realized just how deep these guys were in, it was affecting the entire financial system. And this is, uh, I think, back in 1980. Like, this is way before 2008. Uh, and the, the phrase too big to fail was floated even then. Hmm. So if you are trading on margin, just bear in mind, if you're a cryptocurrency trader, there's no bailout for you. So keep that in mind with, with what you're doing and be conservative. You got to pay the rent. You know, you got you to gotta eat. So if this is what you do for a living, you can't bet the entire farm on one bet. That's just right. not going to work. Right. You don't want to be the... Uh a homeless guy that's well-versed in margin trading. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many times have we seen a Wall Street trader just wearing a barrel and just wandering around the streets? <laughs> yeah. So I want to pivot topics a little bit. Uh, you, re- yeah. you really gave some excellent information about margin trading. You kind of defined it for people that aren't super familiar with it. And for anybody that was familiar, you gave some really good strategy tips, really excellent strategy tips. So I appreciate that. I'm sure our listeners appreciate it. Um, I want to move on to high-volume trading. And if you can talk a little bit about high volume trading in general when it comes to cryptocurrency. Sure. So what a lot of people do with high volume trading is they'll, they'll go into their exchange, they'll have a, a solid uh, cache of cryptocurrency, and then they'll set parameters for automatic trading. They'll, they'll set limits. So they'll say, if Ether is you know, within 5x of a Bitcoin I want to trade, uh, give up my Bitcoin and buy Ether. And so what they'll do is they'll set price limits for automatic trading. And this will come up in the ledgers. It'll sometimes say limit buy or limit sell. And ordinary traders do this too, if you're buying IBM stock or whatever. The only difference in high volume trading where you're setting a parameter and just letting it automatically trade compared to somebody that's actually clicking the button each time and buying 10 Bitcoin or, or uh, buying, you know, uh, 20 Ripple tokens. Mm-hmm. The only difference is the number of transactions and the overall volume of transactions. Now, in my work uh, with Alex Kugelman, I think we've seen maybe 500,000 transactions in a year. That was the, the highest volume that we did somewhere in that neighborhood. And so we, Alex and I, are limited by 
the strength of Microsoft Excel. The same is true of somebody using Bitcoin.tax that they're going to have to render their CSV exports into the Bitcoin.tax format or upload it raw as it's exported. Like if you have Poloniex and you have 100,000 trades, you could just upload your ledger into Bitcoin.tax, but they'll have to pay the fee uh, because Bitcoin.tax, you know, you have a specific number of trades that you're allowed. Right. If, if somebody has a, a million trades, which we do allow for, you're going to have to pay a little bit more money than the guy that has 40 trades. Sure. And in a purely taxable transactions respect, if you trade a million times or you trade once, it's the same principles in play insofar as you're an ordinary human being. And then that's the tax return. Okay. And I think anybody that has those high volumes of trades, if somebody has a million trades, they should almost absolutely be using multiple different types of services. For example, they should be using, and of course it's up to them, but they should use something like Bitcoin.tax. They should hire somebody like you guys to make sure that they're doing things right. They need to make sure they have a team that they're using in order to avoid audits and make sure all of the data is right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you can, you can see this with uh, the Coinbase summons that went out. If, if people had just a small amount of transactions, they weren't subject to that summons. It's the, it's the people with either a high dollar value or high volume that are essentially visible to a bureaucracy like the IRS. So somebody who's trading high volume, I would say that uh, their risk of audit is higher in virtue of the volume. Mm-hmm. And it, it's fine to trade in that volume. You just have to have your ducks in a row, you know? Right. Be aware that you may be at risk. And if you do get audited, then make sure you have all of your documents and make sure you're recording everything properly. Yeah. Or hire Alex, you know, and he'll represent you and we'll just go through and do all the work. And we always tell people, any type of trader, to always download and export their files from their exchanges that they're using, export them regularly because sometimes exchanges shut down and then you don't have any records of those transactions. And then when you have to go and prove to the IRS during an audit, you know, your cost basis or when you acquired these coins, if you have no records, then, you know, the burden of proof is on you and you're kind of screwed in that situation. Yeah, Sal, this is an excellent, excellent point. And I'll, I'll tell you, the hardest part of my job as a cryptocurrency accountant is dealing with missing records. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alex and I have seen this a bunch where there's times where there's just no records, but we know something must have happened. Right. And working through that uh, gap is incredibly difficult because we essentially have to perform an analytical posting of implied trades. And when that happens, in the case that we're representing for an audit, we, we have to convince an auditor that our analytical work is correct rather than just showing a, a straight up CSV file exported raw. And so you, you couldn't have made a better point. And anybody that's trading cryptocurrency, export your records, please. Because if you have all of your records, my job is going to be really relatively routine. And you're going to save a bunch of money on the preparation. But then also, it's so much easier to prove to an auditor that we're doing things correct. Because you just show the records, show our reports, and see that they line up the end. Right. It's a necessity. If you're trading cryptocurrency, you need to have your records. You need to regularly export your records. It's At this point, it is absolutely a necessity, and, and traders need to start doing it regularly, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like the old saying, if you don't have the proof to prove your case, you just get what you get. You yeah. Know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and in this case, what you get is a super high tax bill. Right. <laughs> so yeah. not to mention a high accounting bill where yes. I'll take the fees, but I really don't want that kind of living. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. It's more work for you anyway. So yeah. So final question regarding high volume trading. Um, you kind of talked about it a little bit, but are there any different tax regulations for high volume traders than regular traders? There is something that's called a mark to market election which day traders can sometimes take. However, it's a really nuanced tax position. The rough uh, explanation of it is that you take the inventory at the beginning of the year and take its dollar value. Take the inventory at the end of the year and take its dollar value. The difference is your taxable earnings or loss. The, The regulations governing this are long, detailed, and difficult to interpret in terms of cryptocurrency. That's the only thing that would separate somebody from an ordinary human being just trading cryptocurrency. Okay. But it also is on uh, sort of the tip of the spear in terms of regulation. And so if somebody wants to take a position like that, they ought to be aware that they are on the front edge of that. Right. the, The IRS hones its regulations by conducting audits. And so if you are on the front edge of a, an accounting position to the IRS, the IRS is going to figure out what it wants by auditing you and taking you to court. And, you know, this is the same thing. You've had guests talk about like-kind exchange for years before 2018, mm-hmm. things like that, where when there isn't regulation, if the IRS doesn't want to write the regulation, they'll just have a court case and let that be the precedent. And you don't want to be the guy in the court case. It's it's just, it's not a great way to live. Right. And from my perspective, I think it's always best to follow the most conservative approach when it comes to filing your taxes. For example, using FIFO is probably the best way to calculate them. Um, it's usually best to follow the most conservative approach, even if that means less money for you, it means less risk for you. Yeah. And you know, there's, there's ways in which you can take a fairly aggressive stance and still be conservative. All right. Well, you have provided us with a ton of great information, John. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Great. And uh, what is the best way for somebody to reach you so that they can get some of your expertise um, to themselves? Sure. Well, I work for Alex Kugelman. In the case that you want to talk to uh, me, you got to call Alex. He's Alex at KugelmanLaw.com. Uh, and I think he's on Bitcoin.tax, if I'm not mistaken. I'm, I'm sure you could put him up on the, the link. Yeah, uh, we'll have all that. We'll have that put up in the write-up for everybody. Yeah. And then, so if somebody, even if you want like a 20-minute phone call with me, you know, call Alex, set it up through Alex, and uh, he'll put it together. And the benefit of that is obviously then the attorney-client privilege extends to me through Alex because CPAs don't have a CPA client privilege. So that's helpful. And also, it's a way that uh, we can make sure that all of the advice you get is backed up by a lawyer rather than just an accountant. All right. That was great, John. Thank you so much, man. Yeah, man. It's my pleasure. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Bitcoin Texas podcast. Be sure to stay tuned for more great podcasts discussing the intersection of cryptocurrency and taxation.